Hello and welcome to In Orbit, the podcast exploring how technology from space is empowering a better world, brought to you by the satellite applications Catapult. I'm your host, Dallas Campbell, and in this series, we'll be in conversation with some of the most inspiring minds in the country, exploring the ways that the UK is using space to make huge differences to our everyday lives, as well as gaining a better understanding of its role in shaping and sustaining our planet for the future. Now then, in this episode, we're going to be discussing the fascinating topic of microgravity. And joining us today, we've got two members of the Access to Space team at the Satellite Applications Catapult. We've got Jane Davies, who's the Business Development Associate, and Lara Gonzalez-Lamazarez, who's the Space Manufacturing Lead. We're also joined by two wonderful guests from a company called Gravity Lab. We've got Brian Zielinski-Smith, he's the Technical Services Director, and Charlotte Daniels, the Science and Data Lead. Microgravity exists when only very small gravitational forces are experienced. And as such, it's a unique environment that creates new opportunities and challenges for scientific research, technology development, and human spaceflight. We can use microgravity environments to study how living organisms adapt and change in a weightless environment. And this research can help us better understand the effects of long duration space travel on the human body, but can also lead to the development of new medical treatments and therapies. Additionally, microgravity can be used to study physical phenomena such as fluid dynamics and combustion and aid the development of new materials and alloys, which would otherwise be impossible to study here on Earth. Well, listen, it's delightful to have you all here. Lots to talk about. Well, okay, let's talk about definitions first. Microgravity, it's like gravity, but it's smaller than gravity. It's like <laughs> tiny gravity. What do we mean by microgravity? Who wants to have a stab at Absolutely. That? Well, I mean, as the, the word suggests, micro does mean very small. It's a very small degree of gravity. You know, we take for granted on Earth, gravity being 1G. I don't take it for granted. Do you not? No, I, every You're day I marvel, at, I marvel at the gravity. Absolutely. Well, we are. We're definitely conscious, constantly uh, thinking about gravity. But um, so yeah, microgravity is in the context of space, not actually zero G. Lots of people sort of mix the two terms together. Yeah. You know, zero G doesn't really exist. That's a bit of a misnomer um, because if I'm going to be a bit geeky early on in the chat, we'll Ge get the geeky, geeky stuff geeky early on. Newton's universal law of gravitation. Nice. Um, yes, I know. We had to get it in. We had, we had to, to get it in. It's the best law of gravitation. Yeah. Is that? <laughs> um, it means that every object in our universe and solar system is constantly affecting each other. So every mass, you know, we have, we're affecting the sun in a minuscule way compared to the sun affecting us. It's kind of splitting hairs, though, isn't it? Oh, Just yeah. Just sort of, well... I, mean, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Look, I'm it's a physicist. Not. I've just got to get that definition okay. well, I, in there. You know, because you know, when you talk to kids and they see astronauts floating around on the International Space yep. Station, mm -hmm. I get a bit pedantic about that, and I like to point out, and I say it's not because of lack of gravity, because they're not that high up. They're only whatever a couple hundred, four hundred miles away. Yeah, yeah, There's just as much gravity, not quite as much gravity, just <laughs> as much gravity up there as there is here, but they're in free fall. And hence, that's why. So it's a kind of the appearance of lack of gravity rather than there being no gravity. Absolutely. Yeah. So for us, microgravity, you know, it unlocks a lot of things that, again, we take for granted on Earth. Um, it's an environment that is actually achievable when we pass something called the Kármán line, which is really where Earth's own atmosphere ends. It's about 100, 100 kilometres. 100 kilometres. It's, it's exactly 100 kilometres. 100 kilometres straight up. To the centimetre. To the centimetre. I'm a pedant about the Kármán line as well. When people start telling me that space begins here, there and everywhere, I'm like, no, Theodore von Kármán. Yeah. Yeah. 1950 something. Sounds right. I don't know. Something like that. I yeah, can't yeah. remember. There was a conference and they, they picked it because it was a nice round number. So Yeah, exactly. That's all, that's so we think, mean. well, you know, plus or minus a few, more than a few kilometers yeah. potentially. But anyway, the point is that my, but this idea of, of free fall, I mean, if you went straight up and weren't moving, mm. you'd be standing on the International Space Station. You'd be, you'd be able to walk around. It's just because we're going quite fast. Absolutely. There we go. So that's that's the physics bit done. Is that it? Anything else? We could end the chat there. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, why? Okay, so that's the so 
microgravity, this idea of, of weightlessness or the appearance of weightlessness, why do we care about it? Who wants to jump in with... Uh, Lara's got a hand up from Madrid. Lara, tell why do we care about microgravity? Why is it important other yeah, than it's fun, to, it's, it's fun to float about? It is very fun to float about. I would love to go in a parabolic flight or, or to the ISS myself if I could. But I guess there's two points to it. Um, the first one would be that in, in microgravity, there's no buoyancy. So matters can actually be mixed exactly evenly. And no matter their density or anything, they can be properly mixed and be a homogeneous mix. And the other thing, the very important, interesting thing for us is that there's no sedimentation. And because there's no gravity, there's nothing pulling it down so that it can grow uniformly. So we can create my structures and crystals that can be very homogeneous and, and with many less defects than the ones that we create on earth so for that for me would be the the two main points yeah and also to to add on to that just on the um on the growing um side of things it also is unconstrained by gravity so because it's unconstrained it also can grow in all directions as opposed to just on a single plane you can grow in all planes at the same time and you can get larger better and also as Lara said more uniform and with less imperfections because it's not being acted on by the wonderful world of gravity and also convection though we've got to also yes. include convection as the the third pillar of that mm -hmm. kind of environment that's created because that's super important what do you mean so con convection so, well convection basically when warm air rises yes. and is replaced by colder more dense matter at the bottom but obviously for the manufacturing process that has a lot of implications for again um, preventing bubble formation and also uh, promoting the homogeneity of the of the materials you guys just hate gravity don't you you're just like really <laughs> just down on gravity yeah. <laughs> no not at all Gra <laughs> gravity's good gravity's good it just uh, doesn't help when you're walking upstairs but it's kind of, yeah that's true it's kind of basically by by being in an environment without it as it were you can do all kinds of things you kind of get rid of the noise as it were when you're yeah. doing Experiments. I mean, is is the whole idea? Of, uh, well, I suppose in something like Gravity Lab, is it manufacturing? Is that the point? It's like we can manufacture or, or no. Well, the thing is, with what we're doing, is we're providing an opportunity to have a lab in a space or microgravity environment. Right. So we're offering the opportunity for people to kind of like test and, and develop and validate any products, any materials, any scientific experiment within an environment which is completely unique, which you can't replicate here on Earth. Okay. Give me some examples of the types of things we're talking about. If I, why, who's coming to you saying, okay, we need no gravity in order to do X? Like, what are the... Well, there's kind of two tranches, really, that you can look at. You've got the first, which is your, your academia, your institutions um, for your research, which are doing really, really core cool IP. And then the second is a bit more of the commercial side. Right. But on the commercial side, there's so many opportunities. So you can look at validating of hardware. So... Say you've got a new launch vehicle that's going up, that's going to release satellites into into low Earth or or very low Earth or even kind of you know higher up as well. Obviously, you've got doors that swing open. You've got mechanics and understanding how those mechanics work in microgravity. You've got to make sure that they can open and they can close again. Otherwise, you've got issues with regards to you know wasted opportunities and wait what, and what do you mean by hardware. doors I mean, doors so basically doors on the um so payload doors because oh, so, okay. oh, something's got to open so, yes okay. yeah, so something's got to open up to release say satellites into orbit yeah and um so those mechanics need to be tested you've also got um cooling so you've got processes you've got electrical equipment up there and you've got to call it somehow now we've already said that fluids work differently within space but also you've got the extreme environment of space mm. so you've got high temperatures low temperatures you've got high radiation You've also got, um, you know, various different atmospheres that you've got to contend with, mm. and that affects the cooling. Mm. And so you've got to work out how to cool it efficiently, but in a really unique environment. So you test that in a space or microgravity mm. again, environment. Mm. And then there's other cool things such as 3D printing and, and doing things like that. So another case in point, then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up and let Charlie have some uh, mentions. You've also got like I said, 3D printing. Now, when we send hardware up into space, 
you know, you're constrained quite a bit by, by weight and by size. You're constrained by, well, yeah, the power of the rocket and the size of the fairing. Exactly. And you're also constrained by, you know, the more you send out, the more it's going to cost, the more fuel it's got to go and launch it into space. Yeah. And as a result of that, you want to reduce that as much as possible. So instead of having huge booms for um, solar sails, etc., which you've got to then pack somehow and then extract somehow, another way of doing it is by 3D printing those booms. And by 3D printing those booms, you're reducing weight and you're also reducing the amount of kind of storage you've got to have. And I then can't even get that. my 2D printer to work. Ah. Like, like, honestly, getting it paired up with my... Uh, I mean, it's I, IT support's science. a bit more difficult from a... Okay, so, right. so we've got, we got academia, so academics wanting to test stuff. Do we have to go into space to do this? Like, what's the other... Have we always done experiments using microgravity? I mean, things like drop towers, for example, you don't mm -hmm. get very long in microgravity. You just sort of drop something. Yeah. Well, we, we, I mean, we have two kind of options. We have a, an alternative to parabolic and, um, and drop tower being a, a drone solution, which is um, effectively, you can almost imagine it as a drop tower, but relocatable and um, a lot less infrastructure is needed for that. And then obviously we've got our atypical uh, rocket that goes up and it's all the, the glitz and the glory of uh, having a rocket going into space. I'm going to talk to the satellite applications catapult in a moment to find out how they are facilitating all this stuff. Charlotte, yeah, just tell us, so from you, from a sort of business point of view, or it's, well, I don't, from a, what are the really exciting things that are happening at Gravity Lab? I mean, are you kind of inundated with academics and companies banging on your door saying, we've got to test this, we've got to do this. Well, I think the really exciting thing that Gravity Lab is doing and is now starting to be picked up on by researchers in quite a, a sort of fast pace is that so many people, like biomedical researchers, may have completely disregarded microgravity because they're thinking ISS, right. it's, it's expensive, it's a long mission lead time, you know, do I have five years of funding to actually get this up? you know, into low Earth orbit. Yeah. And what we do is we are a very easily accessible stepping stone. Do you for go to the it. ISS? So you're not you nothing to do with the ISS or do you have a way of getting stuff up? No, there well we we we're effectively kind of a precursor to the ISS. So instead of spending an inordinate amount of money and waiting longer in fact longer than my daughter's alive at the moment um, <laughs> absolutely yeah. just to get up there yeah. you know to just to validate something you know it's better to actually chuck it on something like a suborbital or do a drone drop so iss we understand that zipping around the planet yeah. 17 and a half thousand miles an hour something I like that remember that kilometers maybe but it's a bit of a faff because it's expensive and you need massive rockets and elon musk to get there yeah you're saying, okay, you don't need to go. We can create the same effects as that, but in absolutely upper atmosphere or or, or yeah. What? Well, maybe starting off first with um, something going up sort of eighty to one hundred meters um, kilometers, sorry, and then and then poss possibly progressing onto a sounding rocket or our own one stage rocket in in later steps. So just remind us what a sounding rocket is. Basically, I mean, our our rockets they're effectively a ballistic projectile. And that's the best way to to describe it. And we don't control it. We don't have someone in the front kind of controlling it all we're doing is we're pointing and shooting and we have it's a it's a solid fuel underneath as well so we're not using liquid fuel and you do a big parabola well yeah so so what we're doing is we basically fire it up it spins and you know uh, how do you mean it spins so basically what happens is because it's a ballistic it self stabilizes so oh, as like it goes up, like a kind of so, rifling in a barrel. Yeah, so okay. so it, it spins itself, which then stabilizes its trajectory, and then that goes all the way up, and then we cut the engines, or the engines cut off around about twenty kilometers, and then we continue with the actual kind of velocity we've achieved by that point in time, and that takes us up through the Kármán into kind of the upper atmosphere and up to you know, our altitude that we want to get to have our microgravity and then we come back down again. So that, how long do you get of microgravity with something like that? So with a suborbital, with an hour one, um, around about seven minutes. See, that's not very long, is it? I, I'd be freaking out if I had my 3D printer. I'm like, get the printer, we've only got seven minutes to print the thing. But amaz it's amazing what that length of time actually can grant you. So, yeah, I mean, what, we're us. currently talking to someone who, who wants to do some 3D printing um, applications in space. And so what she wants to start off with is just a very simple experiment where she just wants to test that her 
setup will actually extrude the polymer substance that she wants it to. And that only takes seconds. That will take about one to two seconds. That's all she needs for her first step. And then the next step would be maybe changing the material or trying to print a line or some dots and seeing how homogenous the material is once it's deposited. And then you can see that we're starting to actually build a program of testing and verification for her, and which could eventually lead to a low ortho orbit, much longer duration experiment. That's good. Okay, so you've got sounding rockets, so you get seven minutes. What else? What else? Because you just have like straight, you have drones that kind of drop. Yeah. A bit like an old-fashioned drop tower. Yeah, kind of, but it looks a lot cooler. It does, does look cooler. Well, anything with a drone, they're very fashionable drones. At so the we have a, a helicopter drone with, I mean, it, it looks like a bomb underneath it. I mean, it's it's pretty scary when this thing's kind of flying up. But it goes up, it hangs, has this, um, has what we call Louis. So we, we name all of our launch vehicles out of appreciation for pillars of the scientific community. So for our suborbital, it's called Isaac. So we have Isaac Newton, and then Louis is one of the brothers. You've got Louis and Jack, and they were the developers of one of the first um, gyrocopters. Okay. Um, so um, Louis is our microgravity drop pod so that hangs underneath the the drone the drone gets up to around about 2000 feet and then um, releases it and that gives around about six six ish seconds of microgravity and presumably there's not much left of it when it comes down or does it beautifully parachute down well i know well, well, once it's achieved its microgravity it uh, it pops open a little parachute and oh, that's nice and comes down and so you, okay are you guys busy we're very busy at the moment. Too busy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just interested to, I mean, how much of this is theoretical, experimental, we're still at the early stages of this kind of research, or is it like, no, 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 it's all systems go, we're changing the world with stuff. So we're still, we're coming out of R&D phase at the moment, and we are in the process of doing our final testing with Louis, with a, a view to actually have that commercially released within the next couple of months. Great. Let's talk to Jane and Lyra. From your point of view, are there other people or is it just Gravity Lab? Are there other companies? There's other companies no in the UK, yeah, that are doing okay. different kinds of microgravity. So there's other ones that are doing sounding balloons. Um, so that's just a different kind of microgravity. There's also people who do um, like RPM. So that's a, a desk-based machine that does really small experiments, but it kind of does this reorienting so that it's simulated microgravity on Earth. So huh. if you're doing like microbiology experiments, that kind of thing, so small scale, but you're wanting to see how it would affect if it's like reorienting constantly. Yeah. Sort of like what you're saying about us on the ISS, how we're kind of going around really quickly. Yeah. You're doing that on Earth on a desk. Oh, okay. Like that. Larry, you need to get in one of those um, parabolic flights. I think this is, as the satellite application catapult microgravity bod, you should demand one of those as a work thing. I totally agree. Yeah, I think that would be very interesting. Now, the, the type of experiments that are done both in parabolic flights and in rockets and in balloons, drop towers, are really, really exciting. And they allow you to get that first glimpse of microgravity, as, as Brian and Charlotte were, were mentioning before. But there's some experiments or some um, even manufacturing, they're talking already about production in orbit, that need directly space platforms. No, So it's, it's interesting that we have those both stages in which we have Earth-based uh, companies, as uh, Jane was mentioning we have B2 space in the UK as well. There's a drop tower in, in Germany, in SARM, that we're able to access through uh, ESA, through the European Space Agency. The, the UK can participate in lots of different programs for parabolic flights as well. There's a company in France, Novaspace, another one in Florida that is called Zero G. And so there's many offerings. And then we also have the space platforms. And I think here the UK is in a very interesting uh, spot with this company, Spaceforge. There are positioning themselves as the manufacturing, the space manufacturing company in the UK. And, and they're having very interesting developments. They will have their first spacecraft very soon. And there's many others like them. Uh, in, usually at the moment, there's some uh, already available. Like companies can already send things to, to space, to the ISS. And there's companies there that commercially are exploiting these benefits. And it's very interesting that Charlotte also mentioned convection and, and also Brian mentioned extreme temperatures. I think it's not only about microgravity. We tend about talking about microgravity and we love this word, but I think it's a little bit more open than that. There's, it's not only microgravity, but it's the whole ecosystem yeah, environment there. That's a really good way of thinking about it. So microgravity is, is just one bit of noise that you get to turn off. Actually, you can turn off lots of noises 
in exactly there's many many different variables there that help variables, you and I, I like to, to think about it as a as a lab so same as in on earth to manufacture things we need to expose materials to high temperatures or different uh, circumstances we have a very unique environment a very unique lab in space and we need to start making use of it or not even on space but actually mm. simulating this with these earth-based companies and offerings that the companies like gravity labs and others are offering in, in the UK. But it's definitely a very exciting field because we have lots of space platforms, NanoRacks, Bartolomeo, Ice Cubes already in the ISS offering this service. But we also have commercial companies, commercial private space stations coming up live very soon, like Axiom. There's also the ESA Space Rider. Like there's many different companies looking at this uh, sector at the moment. And I think one of the big examples at the moment is also Varda Industries. This is uh, a company based in the in the US and they've raised a lot of funding at the moment. They actually launched their first spacecraft already this last Monday and, and they have, a, I think it's a 90 kilogram capsule that is designed to carry a drug and do drug research into microgravity, so a lot of pharmaceuticals. And the objective is that they bring all of these materials and up there they do the experiments and they, they return to Earth, which I think is one of the biggest challenges so that we can use these very high value products for Earth uses and, and help Earth at the end, right? Like the importance is always bringing those benefits to society and humanity. And I find that very interesting, very inspiring. Jane, you, with your business head on, what does the landscape look like? I mean, are you surprised by the, 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 we just heard from Lara, the kind of variety of stuff that's being made? I mean, are you, do sort of companies come to you that, that you're surprised about? Like, why would this company want to do stuff in microgravity? I mean, uh, it's a, we mostly get companies coming to us who are providing microgravity services yeah. or who are interested in doing that. But I think it's definitely a growing industry for people who are, uh, or companies or industries that are looking to pivot into microgravity. Yeah. Who's think, looking to pivot into microgravity? Well, I think it's also, it's a, it's sort of an ongoing conversation. It's all we need to also be doing the work to advocate for microgravity and to show all these things that it can do. Like I think what a big important one would be the pharmaceutical industry has a lot to yeah. gain from working in microgravity. I hear that a lot. So give it can you give, sort of give us an example of that? Like is there a company that's like that had sort of never heard of it and now suddenly they're all about microgravity? I don't have a specific example in mind, but I think that because the it's still quite a young industry yeah. in, in microgravity, but in terms of crystals coming together, I think there was a, um, I can't remember the name of the company, so maybe you'll know, but there was a, one of the COVID vaccines was tested there, that like uptake yeah. or something. So the great thing about microgravity is that there's not one catch-all idea of how it affects microorganisms, bacteria and viruses. So it can either inhibit viruses or it can actually make it more, more virulent, the, the environment. So it's not like we can think viruses are all going to act a certain way on the space station. So um, absolutely, what a lot of people are now sort of catching on to is that we can create crystallized protein structures, membrane proteins specifically, which are um, sort of the cause of many genetic diseases such as Alzheimer's and uh, cystic fibrosis, actually um, use a process called X-ray crystallography on these larger pure structures that are made in space and then um, observe a, a larger structure in more detail, find the inhibitor that actually prevents the protein from mutating and causing the disease and then coming up with a vaccine <sighs> or a treatment for it. And there's there's been a 10-year study on the ISS for a muscular dystrophy strain that is actually now in clinical trials because of this. Jane, is it the idea that you understand how drugs will work and then you come with that knowledge that we've gained from being in microgravity, we then do it on Earth? Or is it we actually make the drugs in microgravity because the absence of gravity is important for drug production? It could be both. So either it's because like crystals will come together easier or like more... Beautifully, like Brian was saying, they can grow in every direction. They can also grow exponentially because they're not inhibited by gravity. But then also doing that research, as Charlotte was mentioning. So it's a bit, it's a bit, it's all, it's a sort of catch-all miracle, right, okay. if you will. Miracle, I like yeah. that. So th these are the things drugs I hear a lot about when, in this sort of area. The other thing I hear a lot about is is sort of materials as well, like and particularly in the sort of high tech industries. You know, materials. semiconductors and yeah, materials is a big one. Um, and yeah. it's, it's, I mean, when I first joined Gravity Lab, it was kind of the major, major thing on my mind, partly from my background, but also from all the noise that I was hearing. What's your background? Uh, my background is is mechanical engineering, right? Um, so I got to play with a lot of different materials and trying to work out what's best for 
different structures. Yeah. And just the amount of interest in developing new materials and also creating ones which are resistant to different types of rust or ones that can have a better kind of crystalline structure, more ordered or unordered, depending on kind of your, your process, and also ones that are better for space travel. And you can create lots of things. You can also create better alloys in space. And then if you look at like the big one at the moment, our kind of tech industry is fueled by semiconductors and by silicon. So it's, it's a big word at the moment. Everyone's looking at, at, at semiconductors. I think I, I think I've never quite understood what a semiconductor is. Is, is. is it like a kind of semicolon, like or half a conductor? Like I never quite, it's the, it's the sort of word semiconductor. I never really. Well, we, well, well quite, quite simply, a semiconductor is, is made from um, silicon. Okay, so it's, it's, its core, core substrate is um, it's about silicon. lack of resistance. Yeah, and and within that you have other processes as well, and you have lots of stuff within and chips within the chips within the silicon within the semiconductors as well. So right. you're looking at several different layers, but the major major component is silicon, and silicon itself is you know you can make it here on Earth, but by making it in space, you make larger ingots, you reduce the amount of time it takes to produce it. Because you can grow those crystals again exponentially, you can increase the time in, or decrease the time in which to create these crystals, and so you can actually manufacture the raw materials in space, bring that raw materials back down to Earth for processing, and then those businesses that actually then process it into um, chips and into anything that, that uses silicon. It is crazy, isn't it? Did you see that thing a couple of months ago? It was um, Blue Origin. They made like a they made mm. a they made a, a solar panel or a solar cell out of lunar regolith just from kind of moon dirt yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm like what this is it's like alchemy it's like oh my goodness well i mean there's there's some silica on them um, on, on on the lunar surface yeah so i mean it's 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 prime building materials out there but let's get up let's go Come on. well that's just it but that is something which uh, so many people are looking at as well looking at the raw materials that are there you know and you've got loads of companies that are looking at creating the mechanics and the the processes to build habitats using materials that are found on on planets and on moons and on like for instance the lunar surface what do you think of the what are the big challenges for for this research at the moment like for you guys what this is an open question like where are what are the problems that you're trying to overcome is it is it getting rockets up or balloons up or you know is the dream to be getting suborbital or orbital platforms which are sort of cheaper than the ISS or what's the... What's well, it the, depends on what you're defining as a problem. Is it a, is it a problem for Gravitalab or the problem for for the industry as a whole and other industries associated with it? So for, for us, it's more of a case of a lack of, I guess, understanding of the benefits that microgravity and testing within those types of environments mm. can give. Because like everything, like I'm looking at, at your desk note right now and you've got your, your computer there, you've got your phone there, there's loads of other stuff around and loads of other tech. So everything that you're looking around has been tested in some in some shape or form. Yeah. Whether it be shock tested, vibration tested, or it's had package testing so it doesn't break when it's delivered to shops. But they're all tested in single capacity. So it might be tested for temperature at one point, then tested in one axis of vibration, then another axis of vibration, then another axis of vibration, then a shock test, then something else test. So you've got all these independent tests. You know, when you're carrying a laptop around, it's seeing three degrees of motion. You chuck it on the floor as well. So that's then seeing acceleration, shock impact, and the vibration of you carrying it, and also all your different motions. So you're seeing all this all at the same time. And also you might go and chuck your coffee over it and other things. And all these things are happening all at the same time. But your computer and your phone and your laptop and blah, 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 all of that still works because it's been, it's been tested, but it's not real life testing. Whereas when you start using stuff like suborbital rockets, you're then testing every single aspect all at the same time it becomes a synergistic test for hardware and so you're actually getting a more realistic right. testing environment for it to actually work man do, do you think industry are aware of this like do you at the at the catapult is, is part of your job sort of selling this this kind of idea to not necessarily but in terms of just helping the community grow so that that knowledge can be 
expanded on mm. and developed within the community. I think that's something that is also prohibitive is is cost for sure and access. So being able to send your and time, but being able to send your experiments to the ISS, for example, as we said, long wait time, longer than Brian's children have been alive, and My also than, and massively <laughs> costly. Mm. So. Um, I think in terms of having more access and different mechanisms, so having drop pods, having parabolic flights, anything means that there'll be more companies that are able to pivot into that. So yeah, not necessarily that we are promoting it, but we're promoting the businesses and helping them develop their experiments. And, and is the cost going to, presumably is going to come down as more and more yeah. companies get see the benefits exactly of all, and like we've seen like the classic example is spacex has made a lot of spacefaring companies a lot more affordable because you're able to access yes flights more often but one of the things just to add on to what you were saying it's like trying to get up into space and trying to do this testing there is a long lead time and so if you've something goes wrong or you actually want to then redevelop that test and then validate it again you know from initial conception could be kind of year zero then you've got to year two by the time you launch and then in order to get back on another launch it could be year four so you've then got a four-year lead time just to develop one piece of ip or to validate it with what we're doing and other people as well making it more accessible you can effectively launch get your data, reset, and be up again the following month if you wanted yeah. to. Or so, even just establish that your experiment is going to survive exactly, a launch. Exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah, the G yeah, yeah. Ex, you yeah. know, associated with that. So. Basically, the ISS is a massive faff. It that's, is. That's the kind of bottom line for most people. And the microgravity is really poor. And the what? And the what? microgravity is absolutely... Why is it really what? poor? No, it's the best. It's like constant. It's why. Is but you've got people. You've got... And a, each one of those, as we said right at the very beginning, every mass, you know, has some sort of gravitational field. So it's always pulling and everything's pulling everything else. And when you've got lots of bodies and lots of things around you, the microgravity is actually poorer. Plus huh. also... Interesting. When they're doing the experiments, they quite, they're not trained to do that experiment. They're rub astronauts. So they, they just get a little like you know, checklist. You know, it's just you know, have I done problem. that? Have I done that? <laughs> no, I was just thinking that that's actually one of the challenges about microgravity in space. And, and one of the other challenges could be if we move on to more autom automated platforms and robotic platforms to be able to have platforms themselves doing all this work that usually are astronauts because they are usually the keen, the, the eyes and that are doing the research there. But if we move more into robotics, these robotics are going to have to survive also the rocket launch. And, and it's it gets into a very technically complex uh, topic mm. as well. And I guess the other complex and, and technical challenges that I see when we talk about microgravity in space and returning these goods to Earth is re-entry. For me, that's, that's the very critical point. And I'm very curious to see how companies like Spaceforge or Varda Industries does it. Because if you imagine, like you have this capsule coming 18,000 miles per hour with extreme heat, you create plasma on your way down. So it's one of the most dangerous parts of any space journey, let's say. So I'm very curious of seeing how this is solved. Hmm. Jane, what is the important mission goal of the catapult, do you think? Right. Um, so our mission is there to... Are many important there are many important missions, four to be precise. Um, yeah, no. So we are here to support the space sector in the UK and help it grow and develop and um, just kind of essentially help the UK become a space superpower, if you will. Nice. Um, so in terms of microgravity, we're here to support industry working on those things and you know companies like Gravity Lab we want to support them in the future going forward and how we can continue to help them grow but also any industries that are looking to pivot into microgravity being that kind of contact point to to say look this kind of testing would be great for you or this kind of mission would be good for you so for example a, a 3D printing company could come to us and say we're looking to transition into space or a automobile company, whatever, that kind of thing. And I think also one of the great things we're doing is we have a microgravity working group, which meets bi-monthly, which they, means... Do they float <laughs> I'm just imagining they're kind of like... Yeah. They're sort of floating about having... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We all get social. on a parabolic flight and we all vomit on each other. No. Um, so... Yeah, so we meet. Yeah, we meet twice a month. Brian's also part of the group, and it's also it's to just sort of discuss how we can help support the UK roadmap of sort of microgravity developments, and also talk through any challenges we're having in the industry, and and just help kind of create these these relationships and synergies between different companies doing different things and research. Are we going to be a space superpower? What do you think? That's what the UK space strategy says. That's what they say. Yeah. 
But do you, I mean, are we on, are, are you, I mean, you, this is your day job. Do you yeah. think, are you hopeful? Are you, are yeah, you are we on the right course? Do we need to do more? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that the UK has on its side is we are like a manufacturing superpower and have been for many, many years. So that is something that we're, because space is developing into quite a manufacturing hub, whether that's manufacturing for space or in space, um, we do have a really strong core there. So I do think that that could help lead us to be a superpower. Plus, you know, we have a nice, nice climate. colonial history of being... <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I think we've been leaders in a lot of industries yeah. for a long time, which are able to pivot to space. So that puts us in good position. And also, we're still all connected to the European sector through um, ESA. So even though we're out of the EU, we're still connected that, yeah. through the space. Yeah, one. I was going to say, just on top of that as well, we're not just, you know, a manufacturing kind of excellence. We export so much IP. That was an academic research. Exactly. And, and we are, you know, really, really pivotal to, to academic research and academic development and IP development. But not only that, but we love red tape here. We love process. We love developing kind of new structures, new ways of doing things and getting it written down and getting ways of working put in place that actually do work. And we are one of the leaders in the world at creating this stuff. Do other people know that we're the leaders in, in terms of regulations and um, legislations yeah. and, and they, the they, rules of the road, as it were? With they those? do, which is why we're working on the space sustainability rating, because that once we get that in place, it will then be something which can then follow on and people will then start working towards it and it will bleed outwardly, which is why we're really good at standards, why we're really good at, at, at ratings and those kind of things, because it's just in our blood that we're good at it. We're just good. Exactly. <laughs> we're just good. One of the things I'm, I'm interested in is, is the sort of scalability of things. We talk, okay, I, I understand microgravity platforms for, for research and making small examples of things. But if we kind of want to manufacture materials, like, you know, when I think of manufacturing materials, I think of big, you know, concrete, you know, cement factories or, or you know, factories generally... So everything is very small. We can't, we can't build things at scale, though. You know? I was say, it depends on what you're building, because if you can, if you're building space structures, so like space-based solar panels yeah. in space, you can just kind of print them infinitely into orbit, right? Or if you're planting fiber optic cables, which are beautiful in space, apparently, you can just like keep calling them up and can you them print? Up. For, can, so if, when we talk about three D printing in space, what do you? What are the materials that you're Print because I when I think of three D printing I think of that kind of grainy plastic like stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah what, absolutely. But we're printing there's, with other things. Yeah, I think right? there's lots of research going on because there's even things as far as like printing human organs, like yep. it's layer, putting down Bats layer by slippery layer. Slope. Yeah. yeah, so you, you've got bioprinting, which is which is <laughs> things like a, a could big go one. wrong. <laughs> uh, but you've also got yeah polymer printing um, because it's relatively lightweight and you, you are reliant less on its structural integrity because of course you're outside the bounds of 1G gravity. So you can, as you said, print infinitely. Mm. But there's also other cool stuff. So you can also print metallics in space and you can forge materials in space. Um, and I mean... How do you mean forge? As in with an anvil and a... Well, no, we're effectively... Not quite, not quite. An anvil. Um, so we're not we're not going medieval just yet, but, <laughs> but no. What you can do is you can actually create alloys. So we're we're talking about putting high heat on different metals, and obviously creating a smelt and then creating your alloy according oh, wow. to that, and then you can create your um, specific alloys within space, and you do that with. Um, so, but by new alloys again, this idea of the crystal structure of an alloy being more yeah, so you create kind of hydrogen materials, or you can um, look at different lattice structures which are on Earth not very structurally sound and difficult to manufacture or unstable or brittle but in space because they form differently and they cool differently and they are different for their inherent physical properties you can actually then develop them in space and you actually have a better output. I do think that one of the more emerging and quite promising industries is actually in biopolymers. Mm. So replacing, trying to decarbonize using space and actually introducing plastic-free materials. So biopolymers, they include things called, don't ask me what the acronym is, but PHAs. But what's really exciting about them is not only does microgravity stimulate the growth, so you can grow things faster if it was mm. on the ISS yeah. or low Earth orbit, but actually there has been emerging research that 
instantaneous exposure to microgravity actually triggers the growth, almost the metabolic rate of the biopolymer straight away. So what you could do is send something up super quick, bring it back down, then culture and grow it on Earth. So that's that's hugely like got huge potential. That's massive, yeah. So and Estee Lauder is currently actually doing research with the ISS on that. So as an Estee Lauder, as, as in yes, you makeup. heard it right. Yeah. Really? Yeah. What, what, just to get like last, better. To, to remove plastics from, oh, to, from their production processes oh, that's and, to, and to mitigate. Yeah. So it's a really, so bigger wow. names like that yeah. actually recognizing the applications of microgravity are really important. And Jen, do you think, is it the, while bigger names sort of get involved in this idea, will there be a sort of trickle down once people start to, well, Estee Lauder, you know, doing it, we better do well, it. Well, yeah, I mean, isn't that sort of case in point with Elon Musk doing it? Like everyone's like, oh, space is cool again. I was going to say one of the kind of other, Kind of quite cool things like you just mentioned about Estee Lauder. Colgate have also been doing stuff in space. Looking in space, out. no one can hear you clean. Oh, oh very good. Boom, boom. Come on. But also people are, you know, looking at uh, contact lenses because everyone's trying to get into that because they know that it can unlock certain features and certain physical properties or, you know, understand fundamentals, which they cannot do in a lab, yeah. like a bubble formation. Well, just while we're on the subject of decarbonizing, there's, there's a lot of chat amongst the space community, as you know, about sustainability and being clean. The, you know, the more activities we do in space and low Earth orbit and, well, it, up in the atmosphere. Are you guys aware at Gravity Lab of, of that? Do you, do you have a, a very, yeah. are you kind of... Absolutely. So, so for us, our core core mission is all about sustainable space so it's making space a sustainable venture not just from us accessing it so our drone and drop pod that's sustainable that's it's all based on electric it's not you know diesel powder or anything else like that and then our rocket as well you know with it being a, a hybrid fuel it's uh, 75 uh, percent less polluting than um, your current kind of liquid propulsion um, because we are only going up to about 20,000 yeah, 20 kilometers. We're actually not putting any harmful gases um, into the, the stratosphere, which is good. Also, our the output from it, it breaks it down into uh, nitrogen on one side, oxygen on another. So we're, we're not putting too much in the way of greenhouse gases into the back into the atmosphere, which is obviously very important. And our rockets, because they're single stage, we don't end up having to waste a stage every single time we launch. Mm what goes up comes back down so we're not adding to space debris and space debris is a huge 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 problem um, at the moment especially in leo which is why Velio, so very low earth uh, very low earth orbit is such a an interesting kind of thing at the moment because it's obviously what doesn't manage to stay in orbit comes back down and naturally deorbits. Well, I think it's important that um, companies like Gravity Lab and any other companies in the industry are leading with sustainability because there is a decent lack of policy and regulation around mm. We talk space. about this all the time. It's one yeah. of those subjects that keeps coming up. It's like, it's all a bit wild west. It's like we need yeah. some. And it gets down to that messy geopolitics thing yeah. again, seems to be the... Well, there's not been much done really since like 1966, 1967, when the Outer Space Treaty was signed. So it's sort of like... <laughs> well, that, yeah, we need a, do we need a new one? I volunteered to write yeah. it. Well, I mean, International the, cooperation, we'll see. Yeah, so that they are working on the um, the SSR, so the Space Sustainability Rating, mm. and that's all about sustainable space, and that's not just about launch providers and making it accessible, but it's also about the hardware, making sure that it meets certain standards, that it doesn't go and die on uh, deployment. Mm. I mean, we've got 50% of, well, just under 50% of all um, small sats fail on deployment, and about 75% of that 50% fail instantaneously so you imagine how many satellites are out there and how many of them don't work and that's due to the way that they're launched the way that they're tested it's validated through using materials and using kind of suppliers who we go well we've used them before so why won't it work mm. well it's not always the same all you need is one minor change and it stops working what do we think this sort of industry is going to look like in 10 years time you've talked about some exciting things pharmaceuticals materials like what's the if we sort of get in our delorean and go back to good old 2050 <laughs> i mean are we gonna is it do you think it's gonna be revolutionary do you think to life on earth do you think many of the problems that we see now are absolutely gonna... yeah so i know that um it's obviously with um global warming being at the forefront of sort of a, a, being a global issue. Um, one thing that 
is also very advantageous um, in a space environment is creating ultra resilient plant seeds. So that's actually another thing, like an agricultural interest in, in space, that if we can create plants that can grow seedlings that can grow in the environment of the space station and microgravity and we can get them to withstand high temperatures like high pressure environments vibrational testing then we can plant them on earth mm. and actually help ensure that we have enough access to sustainable food for any potential challenges that, that the next few decades might bring yeah i hadn't even i haven't so lara totally i agree with, with charlotte there i think agriculture and food is another one of the big markets that mm. we need to start looking at and i think one of the challenges that we have is that we always talk with space companies but we need to also go into these other markets and talk to the experts in agriculture in food in advanced materials and try to get them understand as brian was saying before what are these benefits and this is something that we're actually already doing uh, together with the european space agency they have a program called the business and space growth network the isa psgn and they have selected three specific markets to work on and to have partners to work on directly. So there's one for agriculture and food, there's one for life sciences and biomedicine, and as the catapult are leading the one in advanced materials and manufacturing. And I think these type of programs are key. In NASA, in, in America, there's NASA doing similar things with programs like CASIS that they had a lot of success in the past. And I think we need to keep pushing and, and keep supporting companies. We usually have like a call for proposals. And then uh, from those proposals that come up with ideas for manufacturing things in space and developing advanced materials in microgravity. We support them with specific partners that are not space experts, but actually manufacturing experts, and they know about the composition, the chemicals, and all of that. So it's very important that we also dig into the details of, of these markets. So Lara and Jane, so your, I mean, your job at the Catapult really is to sort of nurture this environment and to act as a kind of... Dating agency. Dating agency, yeah, yeah. swipe right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of like, yeah, them. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Actually, well, the, thinking about the food thing is kind of interesting. Just just quickly before we finish off, I, you know, for a long time, you see them on the International Space Station growing food with various degrees of success. And I always, you know, and the, and the, the argument is, oh, well, if we're going to go to Mars, we need to kind of grow our own food. And I've always been really worried because they only ever grow lettuce. Mm. And I'm like, that's <laughs> not going to keep you going. In, yeah, definitely. In, on a trip to Mars, you're going to need something. Like, yeah, I mean, th that's the thing about, about fresh fruit. And so with the ISS, they get regular deliveries of fresh fruit because yeah, they obviously they, can't, they don't have a, an orange tree um, growing on the ISS. And the thing is, with kind of the amount of radiation that is in space, when they transport fresh fruit up there, it um, has a less nutritional value when it gets there than when it left. And that's not because it's aged or anything else like that. It's because of the environment. And it immediately starts degrading. And so they're actually getting ne less nutrition than, say, we are here. So they're having to take nutritional supplements. And um, that's due to the breakdown of the amino acids and the proteins. And so there's some, you know, quite a lot of studies on, on how to prolong the life of the food of the, and keep its nutritional value for space journeys. But also that has then an impact back here on Earth because of, then it increases shelf life, it um, stops food waste, it lowers the demand on food production, those kind of things, and also stops the uh, demand on expensive packaging and polymers, etc., for keeping food fresh. Space is ace. Every time I do these things, I, I you know, you touch these subjects, you kind of know a little bit about it or you've heard of, and then when you unpack, you're like, it's amazing, like, you, you know, it's the, the, the things that are possible. We're going to finish, but I just want to maybe go around the room. I'm, I'm interested in what you're most excited about. I mean, we've talked a lot of things, drugs and food and materials. And what's the thing that, that you know, for you working in this industry, you're most excited about? What gets you up in the morning, Jane? I don't know about particular with the being in business, but my background is in like anthropology of space, so social sciences. So for me, what I'm most excited about is how people are going to relate in microgravity and how humans are going to continue to develop their culture off-world. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, whether it's in orbit or whether it's uh, we've become an interplanetary species, who knows? Yeah. But um, yeah, I think the way we relate in space is totally different. Like, how do you hug someone when you're can't when you're having to float towards them, things like that that just change the dynamics of our relationships. That's why I'm most interested. That is really that's, re that's a really interesting area. I read a very interesting article about about um, like when we go to Mars, like will religion start on Mars? Mm. Like, all those kind of like weird. Anyway. Like how do you face Mecca when you're going around the planet exactly. sixteen that's, times that's a day? That's the yeah. main concern of um, 
NASA. The, the answer is you just, God knows that you're the case, apparently. <laughs> but yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, that's a deep question. Wow, we've gone from <laughs> microgravity to some really deep philosophical stuff. Uh, Lara, what's your, what's your um, thing that you're interested in? I think there's like two angles to it. For me, there's the technologic uh, development and, and all these uh, very exciting new drugs that are going to be developed and, and things that are going to help us here on Earth. I think that's that's very interesting, very, very exciting. But also the other side is the synergies and the collaborations that we can create, not only within space companies, but actually between space and other industries or academia and industry. And yeah. It's very powerful. I think that is, I think this idea, I, I think that there's a, there is an idea that space people do space things over there, and actually space people need to come, you know, Estee Lord is a good example, isn't it? Actually, space entering the mainstream of industry and, and business. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I 100% agree with, with Laura. And uh, I think for me, it'll be really, I hope I'm still working in this industry in 20 years' time, because I'm really excited to see the potential for, like, regenerative medicine and stem cell research with space. I you want know. to talk more about organs in space, because that's just, like, just very quick. Can we grow, are we going to, like, growing, like, organ farms? So quite, I think um, we're at the stage of growing things called organoids, which do help us to sort of understand tissue structures and yeah. organ structures. But, um, you know, the next step would be actually growing stem and cells. and brains in vats. Yeah. Are we going to go there? If we're not already, though. <laughs> the great yeah. thing would be, though, to have something where you didn't have, someone had kidney disease, they got a new kidney, and they didn't have to have anti-rejection drugs because it was their own kidney. You know, it's just astounding, the sort of potential. So the next couple of decades, it would be oh, good I'm really to see annoyed happens. I was born a long time ago. I want to be born now so I can see all this stuff coming in sort of 50 years' time. Brian, what's your... Uh, you know, you're in this business. What's what's the thing that's for me? Well, I mean, I've always loved space, and I, I absolutely love it to bits. So, just getting up and being able to say that I work within the space sector is just great. But one thing I love seeing is how accessible it's been now becoming, and really it's yeah. the barriers are being broken down continuously to the point of where you know earthbound and civil bound kind of industries are now blowing those lines between between what they're doing here on Earth and what they're doing in space. And there's now becoming a real kind of merging of the two. And there's a real technology transference from what we're doing here on Earth. And very simply, you know, knocking it down a few levels in terms of R&D and then chucking it on a spacecraft, chucking it back up. And next thing you know, it's now space tech as well. And it's just having that transference and seeing it develop, seeing it become more accessible to the point of where, say, in 10 years' time, you know, space is no longer be, going to be a buzzword. It's just going to be the norm, like getting into your, you know, Ford Focus or whatever, you know, car to go go to school. It's going to go, well, where should we go this time? Great. Well, there we go. That's it. Jane, Brian, Lara, thank you for joining us from Madrid. Charlotte, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been really, really interesting conversation. So thank you very much for stopping by and talking to us about pleasure. gravity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your company. To hear future episodes of In Orbit, be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. And to find out more about how space is empowering industries between episodes, you can visit the Catapult website or join them on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook.